look at Exodus chapters 19 and 20 today. Um, and so we're going to pick up, we're going to read the passage we read last week and kind of pick up right where we left off as we get in this morning to try to understand kind of what we're looking at. So I'm going to start right in um, chapter 19, verse 1. It'll be on page 35 if you have one of these blue Bibles um, that's in the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take this one home with you. That's our gift to you. This is what we read last week. It says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. So they're in front of Mount Sinai. It says, While Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, And tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The people of Israel at Mount Sinai is a wildly important moment in history, not just for the people of Israel, not just for us as Christians, but for the world. This is where God gives the law to his people. He's going to give the law to them and say, this is what I expect from you. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. This is what is good. This is how you ought to behave. And we need this. But also, we're very bad at this. I don't know if you know humanity's track record at this point with doing what God told us to do. It's not great. We're not, we're not batting a thousand. Probably getting cut from the minor league team. Like we're not even like we're not doing so good. And I don't know if you know yourself very well, but you're also quite bad at it. And so when God goes to give us the law, we immediately run into some problems. Uh, There's a book that one of the pastors at Midtown Lexington wrote. It's a very helpful book. We will recommend it and quote it throughout the next little while because it's on the Ten Commandments. And the first line of the first chapter of that book says, The oldest lie in the book, quite literally, is that God is not for our good. The oldest line in the book, quite literally, is that God is not for our good good. This is what happens in the garden. God gave uh, Adam and Eve the garden. He tells them to work it, to tend it, that they can eat of any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes along and he says to Eve, did God really say that you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? Like that <laughs> seems rude, seems mean to put you here and say you can't eat of any of them. And she says, no, 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 we can, just not of this tree. Because if we eat it or if we touch it, we'll die which isn't what God said, but that's what she said he said. And the serpent says, you won't die. God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And this lie crept into Eve's heart, and it crept into our hearts. Is God withholding good from me? Is God really trustworthy? Should I really do what he asked me to do? Is he really good? That's our first question today as we look at this, as we're accepting the law, as we're going to see the people of Israel taking the law from God, we're going to ask that question. We're going to try to answer that question, is God really good? And the second question that goes along with it is why Eve took of the fruit and ate, 
You see, when she rebelled against God and ate of the fruit, it wasn't just that she was curious. She also desired some authority, some power. She wanted to be like God and have to get to be the arbiter over good and evil, over right and wrong. She wanted to have this ability to know what was right and wrong and to be the person who got to decide. And if you're honest with yourself, that question is still in us as well. Can't I decide what's right and wrong? Aren't I able to really choose what's good? Can't, can't that just be up to me? Aren't I able to do this? If we're honest, those two questions are in us, and we hear them echoed in the world all the time. Is God really good? And why can't I just decide what's right and what's wrong? Can't that just be up to me? So as we study this passage today, we're going to try to answer those two questions. We're going to try to see from the text, is God really good? Because we need to believe that to obey his law. And can't we, can't we just come together and decide what's right and what's wrong? Can't we just vote on it? Can't we just decide for ourselves what's good? Don't I know best what's good for me? We're going to try to see if we can find that in the text as well. So let's pray, and we'll keep reading. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to see you as you truly are. We need your help to see ourselves as we truly are. We need the work of your spirit to be able to answer these questions rightly this morning and not just rightly in a way that affects our mind, but in a way that goes to our hearts. And so we ask for your help and we ask for your grace. And may you receive glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 7. So Moses came and he called all the elders of the people and he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, which is the appropriate response. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. So God says, Moses, I'm going to show up in a very visible way, so that they'll hear me speak to you, and so that they'll believe you. I'm going to co-sign. I'm going to put this on display. I'm going to show my might in a way that will help them believe. You're not just going to go into a cave and come out later with some information, or find some colorful rocks and look through a thing in secret. Like, I'm going to do this in a way that everybody can see so that they might believe you. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses... Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. That word consecrate, it's back in verse 10. It says, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. That idea of consecration is very important for understanding how they're going to relate to God. And it's something that's very foreign to us. We, we aren't a people that worry about treading on the holy. We've, we've lost that largely in Western culture. You might visit a friend who's from somewhere east of here, and they may make you take your shoes off before you go in their house. That might happen. There might be some places where you were told to take your hat off to be respectful. But we've largely lost the idea that some things are holy and some things are profane, and so we ought to. Maybe you have to watch your mouth around your mama. 
But there's just in general this idea that we, we've kind of lost this idea of consecration. Um, the best place that it shows up where I think culturally we can kind of feel it is the way we think about germs. So I've, I've been around a lot of uh, little babies in our church and in my life because my brothers, all we all started having children at the same time. And I've seen diapers changed all over the place. I've seen diapers changed on the beach. I've seen diapers changed in the bed of a pickup truck. I've seen diapers changed on the floor. I have not seen someone plop their baby on a kitchen table and change their diaper. Because don't do that. That's gross. There's some lines that we draw. There are some things that are hallowed. Uh, maybe uh, the way people go about washing their hands. I mean, we have whole systems around this. One of the ways to think about this is at a hospital, that there's at times someone who, whose immune system is compromised and therefore you are a danger to them or they're a danger to you. And so you have to go through a whole ritual of preparing to be around them. There's scrubbing and washing. Before surgeries, there's this scrubbing and washing, and then they hold their hands up like this to put their gloves on so they're not dripping things back down. There's gowns you put on, clothes you put on. There's rooms that you have to walk into and let the door close, and things happen before you're able to go into the next space. We understand a little bit of this. COVID maybe brought this more to our mind, this idea of consecration, of things being unholy or profane or dirty. I remember uh, going to Lowe's after we had been in COVID for a while, and it was the first time I'd ever been in a place, and I thought about how many people were breathing. I had never done that before. I think my wife has done that her whole life, but I had never done it. <laughs> so there's this idea of consecration that we get a little bit, but only around germs. But God is making them enact this to understand they're unclean. I don't know if you've ever been around someone with a newborn, but you don't just get to walk in, eating a meatball sub, plop it down and go, hand me that baby. <laughs> Sorry, just some whooping cough. You don't get to do that. You, you have to be cleaned. You have to be, and so that's what he's doing is he's preparing them, consecrate themselves, clean themselves up, wash their garments because there's a, a gap between my holiness and you. That's some of what is enacted. Just as if you went to the hospital and you had to go through this whole process, you'd be really mindful of the germs that are there it's the same thing he's doing here is that there's a gap, a holiness gap between me and you. 11, be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. This gap is bigger than you made it in your head a second ago. Shall be put to death, and no hand shall touch him. So you can't even touch the person who's being put to death, but he shall be stoned or shot would be with a bow. Just in case you pictured that wrong a second ago. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. So goats aren't allowed to just trot up on this mountain. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them. 
And they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So part of the consecration was uh, uh, refraining from sexual activity. Now this mountain uh, is not massively huge. We don't know exactly what mountain is Mount Sinai. It's a very mountainous region. Um, but they're not massively huge mountains. Uh, the, we have mountains in um, South Carolina that are about the size of what this probably was. Hogback Mountain is a mountain that's about the size of what this probably was. But it would still take three or four hours to get to the top and to come back down. Moses has gone up and down, up and down. He's going to do that four times in this chapter. He's going to go up, and he's going to come down. He's going to go up, and he's going to come down. And I think even that helps enact for Moses the distance between he goes up to where God is, he goes down to where the people are. And this idea of this separation of God's holiness is apparent. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. God is displaying some of his power. Now, this is the God who spoke the world into existence. So he's just barely opening up a little bit of the type of power that he has, but he's putting some of it on display. And so there's this thick cloud and darkness that's wrapped around this mountain that they're sitting out in the camp. They're next to this mountain. And so it's wrapped in darkness and lightning and thunder. I don't know if you've ever watched a storm from a distance, but that's what's happening. But it's in encapsulated around the peak of this mountain. And a trumpet begins to blast so that they tremble. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, which is what God told him to do when they heard the trumpet, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. So it's a storm, lightning, thunder, and now fire and smoke all going on. He descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Okay, so now an earthquake. It is a massive display. Thunder, lightning, thick cloud, darkness, fire, smoke, trumpet, earthquake. God is making it very clear and evident that he is here at the top of this mountain. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, we don't know what he said, and God answered him in thunder. We don't know if he spoke out of the thunder or if there was just really loud thunder in answer. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, earlier it said a couple times that Moses went up to God at the top of the mountain. It's not like God lived at the top of the mountain. God is meeting with Moses at the top of the mountain. It says God comes down. He descends to the top of the mountain so that he might meet with Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, this is verse 21, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. So there's a, a gap of holiness, and he says, don't let them just presume to come approach me. Don't let the priest just presume to come approach me. That will be perilous for them. That you should not approach God in an assumptive, proud, 
presumptive manner. That's what he's saying. So make sure they're not going to just charge up here because it'll be bad. Verse 23, And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Chapter 20, we're to assume that Moses and Aaron have returned to the top of the mountain and God gives them the Ten Commandments. We're not going to spend any time in the, in the Ten Commandments today because we're going to spend a lot of time in them the next several weeks because they are vastly important for us to understand what God intends for us, what God intends for them. But right now we're just looking at this moment around which God gives them the law. So the Ten Commandments are listed next. We'll spend several weeks on them, but go to verse 18 now in chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Right? That makes sense. I think it's easy for us right now to just read it and not really picture it. But if God says, I'm going to meet with you, y'all get ready, and then he shows up on this mountain in this way, you'd be standing there going, ooh. And when Moses started walking up, I think I'd think, Glad I'm not Moses. Not only has he had to go up four times, but it looks scary up there. They stood far off, verse 19. They said to Moses, wait, sorry, they stood far off and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. God's holiness is not lost on them. They've gone through this entire process, and they have understood the separation between them and God. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven, and you shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. All of this is to indicate God's authority and God's power and God's holiness. They don't get to craft something for him. In this instance, he specifically tells them, no, no, there's nothing that I'm glorious. Your craftsmanship isn't the thing. I'm glorious. I don't need, just pile, you get to pile up some dirt. You get to pile up some stones, but if you pile up stones, they just better be regular stones. Don't carve them into anything. Don't walk up steps. You need to treat this with holiness. That's what, and he's saying there's a separation. And so in this whole process, God has seated his holiness and his power together to help us understand his authority. In the show, The Office, 
uh, one of the, the managers an idiot. That's the whole point of the show. Uh, so all the people who work for him are also idiots. Um, but he, he doesn't like the HR rep, and he does a, an exit interview with him. And his exit interview questions are, who do you think you are? And what gives you the right? Those are his opening exit interview questions with this guy that's, that's leaving. And I feel like sometimes, if we're honest, we have that interview with the Lord. Who do you think you are and what gives you the right? And he's the one who understands this situation clearly. He's the holy creator of the universe who has all power and authority. That's what gives him the right. That's who he thinks he is. And he's just showing that a little bit to them here. But as far as our questions that we talked about at the beginning, is God really good? Is he really trustworthy? And can't we decide for ourselves what is right? Moses gives us an answer. And he gives us an answer in a weird thing that he says. That if you're reading it at first, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Look back, chapter 20, verse 20. No, chapter, nine, chapter 20, verse 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Do not be afraid. Be afraid. Do not fear. God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Now, as a dad, I think I can wrap my head around this a little bit because I don't want my sons to be afraid of me. And I want my sons to be afraid of me. I don't want them to be fearful that I'm going to get them. But if I tell them not to do something, I want them to be fearful that I'm going to get them. But the reason being that I love my sons and I want good for them. And so Moses says, don't fear. And that one is, if God wanted to get you, you'd be God. We fenced off the mountain not to keep him in. That's not happening. We fenced it off to keep you safe. That was the point. Don't be fearful, but he does want you to rightly fear him. Why? So that you may not sin. Is God for your good? Yes. He's not out to get you. But he wants you to know who he is so that you don't sin. And if you don't fear God, you will sin. And sin is destructive. It is harmful for you. The answer to the question, can't I just decide what is right? The Bible says, no, absolutely not. You would, you would be so bad at that. And I want you all to see something. Every time I ask that question, can't I just decide what is right? It's in the exact place that I'm proving why I can't. Whenever I ask that question, it's because I know what God said, and I don't want to do it. 
can I just decide what's right? Can I just feel this out? This doesn't feel wrong to me. This doesn't seem wrong to me. I did it and didn't feel bad. That's the exact moment when I need him to have corrected me because it's the exact place where I would go wrong. But I want to press into this idea a little more. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is writing in Deuteronomy, and he's preaching in Deuteronomy before the people of Israel, to be on page 87 in your blue Bible, we'll also have it up here, before the people of Israel are going into the promised land, it's kind of his concluding, Deuteronomy's like summing it all up and trying to help send them out. Before we, before we get into Deuteronomy 6, I want to help us see something real quick. When it talks about the fear of the Lord, this idea that we would have fear on us of the Lord, it's talking about this understanding of his holiness and our profaneness, that we fall short. That even after we've cleaned ourselves up, even after we've washed our garments, we're still not allowed to go up the mountain. Y'all see that? Like the best version of us is still separate from him. If you, if you went in to have surgery... And the doctor came in eating a bag of Cheetos, set the bag down, and went. You ever seen someone do that after eating Cheetos? They make your skin crawl. And then went, let's get these kidneys out. You'd be like, no. He'd jump off the table and be like, arrest this man. <laughs> Is this even a real doctor? Get him out of here. I'll try to take my own kidney out before I'm going to let this guy do it. And if there's a, an immediate revulsion to that idea, and we think that somehow this man with Cheeto fingers can't touch me, but I read in here that if I go up on the mountain, I deserve to die, and my immediate response is, that feels like a bit much, God. You're going to kill him? feels like a bit much. Aren't we taking ourselves a little too seriously? I've greatly misunderstood the gap between me and God. And if you read that and you think, what's all that about? You've greatly misunderstood the gap between you and God. And we need to understand that so that we understand how good he is and how good the gospel is and so that we'll follow him. So this is what he says in Deuteronomy 6. When your son asks you, this is verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? We ask that question. What's all, what's all this about? Why are these rules here? Why can't I do that? What, 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 is the, what is the point of all this? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Do y'all see what the first part of that answer is? It answers that question 0%. What are all these statutes and rules about? Oh, do you know how good God is? 
And just so you know, Christian, that's the answer for your soul when you're wrestling with this. And that's the answer for non-Christians when you're trying to, what is all the point? What are the, why does God have all these rules? Why does he have all these regulations? It begins with understanding that salvation and redemption come first. Why does God have all these rules? Why does he say that you can't do this? Why does he care who gets married? Do you not know that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he was willing to die to redeem a people for himself, to rescue us out of sin, to forgive us, to make us his? That's what he's saying, that he came to Egypt, that he rescued us with a mighty hand to make us his, that we might belong to him, that we might get the blessings that he brings. That's the first part of that answer. That's the part you need to help settle into your soul. What are, what's all this about? Do you not know how good he is? Do you know how much he loves? Do you not know that obedience follows salvation? It's not clean yourself up, be good enough, follow the rules, and then we'll see. It's come to me. Come be rescued. Come be forgiven. And then... Once you know that, once you know how good he is, once you know how much he loves, once you know how he redeems, once you know how he rescues, then he says this. Verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Do you see it? To fear the Lord our God, and it's for our good always. Why does God give us the law? For our good. To keep us alive. Sometimes we act like the rules, the law of the Lord is like a cage. To trap us. To keep us from the good stuff. But it's much more like a guardrail on a mountain road to keep us from flying headlong into our destruction. And you don't get mad at a guardrail on a mountain road. At no point have you ever been working your way up a mountain and thought, I wish that guardrail wasn't here, and it'd be nice if this road was more narrow. You're thankful that they put the work there. And I want you to see that. You're supposed to fear God. You're supposed to understand his holiness. You're supposed to understand who he is. And you're supposed to know that every place you run into his law is the exact place where you've proven two things. I should not be the person in charge of what is good and what is right because I disagree with God here. And I know enough about him to know that he's wiser than me, more capable than me, and that he's good. The cross proves that he's good, that he's for my good, that he loves and that he redeems. So that I know that if I disagree with this, this is the exact place where I've proven I shouldn't be the arbiter of right and wrong. And it's the exact place that I should be the most thankful for God's rules. I don't understand why. Do you, you feel like that as a Christian? There are moments where you're standing and it's just hemmed you in and you're going, I don't know, okay, I can hop this fence. Can't, I can, should be able to hop this fence. I don't understand why we would say no to this. I don't understand why I'm not allowed to do that. I don't understand why I would tell people that they're not allowed to do this. I don't even understand how it's any of our business to get into this. Like, I think that I should be able to go over there and do this. I think God is withholding something good from me. When we're standing in that place, Pride says hop the fence, and humility, understanding the holiness of God and the wickedness of us, says thank you, Lord, for this fence. 
it's a proof of your goodness. And of my inability to see why that's bad, it's just a moment where I get to humbly say, thank you, Lord. Every place I've run into the guardrail is the place I would have tumbled off the mountain. In the moments right now, Christian, where you are so frustrated with God because he won't let you have a thing, it's quite possible that this is the place where he is indicating his love and his grace and his goodness to you more than all the places where you feel like he's giving you what you want. I love my children the most when I fight with them for their good. Appeasing a child is easy. It's just bad for them. One of my favorite quotes from a book that was talking about parenting, it says that you can give a child what they want all the time. You can do that. You can appease them. You just can't call it love because it's not love. And God in his grace has put up guardrails to keep us alive for our good always. Why is this rule here? It's for your good. To bring life, to bring joy. And we have more than they have. God descended on a mountain in power, but we see him climb up a mountain in weakness. We see him die on a cross because he loves us so much that he's willing to pay for our sin. He's willing to pay for every time we've jumped the guardrail in our pride. He's willing to pay for every time that we've walked presumptively towards him. When we've said we knew more than him, he's died that he might forgive us and redeem us and make us his. And now, if you really understand who he is and who you are, you'll love Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who forgives our trespasses every time we've jumped the fence. He's the one who forgives us our sin. He's the one who redeems us and makes a way to, the God, to God. You'll love Jesus and you'll love the law because you'll know a good God put that fence there. And I don't know why, but I know the person who put the fence there. And I know it wasn't because all the candy's hidden on the other side. I know it wasn't because I was going to find the real good stuff. I know that the, the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of wasn't secretly the best tree. One of the most interesting things to me about the story of, uh, of Adam and Eve in the garden is that the tree of life was in the garden. And God seemed to just be waiting for them to discover it. Because he doesn't mention it, but then he has to keep them from it after they fall. And that God fences off what is harmful to us but keeps life for us. And so it's in the moments right now where you're wrestling with the Lord the most, you need to be the most thankful for his goodness, and you need to be the most humble in your failure to see what he can see. The band's going to come back up. And we're going to sing and praise this God who is for our good always, who has given his law for our good that we might have hope and that we might have life. And we're going to take communion. And communion is a celebration for the church to remember that Jesus Christ, his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us as a new covenant for forgiveness of sins. And so we're going to take a moment to try to sit in the fear of the Lord. We're going to take a moment for all the Christians in the room to just sit and go, Lord, 
in this place where I've been fighting with you, in this place where I've been running into into sin, in this place where I've been rebelling against you, forgive me and help me. You actually might not ever be convinced as to why that fence had to be there. But you can be convinced that the God who put it there is for your good and is not keeping you from good things. You might not ever be sold. That's why the first part of the answer is, do you not know how he saves? Do you not know how he loves? So I want you to take a moment right now to bow your head and to try to listen to the Lord and ask, where, where am I fighting with you when I should be thanking you for keeping me away from something that's harmful? And as Christians in the room, we're going to repent. We're going to ask the Lord to forgive us. And then we're going to celebrate in communion that he does. That he forgives sinners. That he offers hope to us in our wickedness. And if you are not a Christian in the room, we ask that you do not take communion. Because it is not for those who have not yet followed Christ. But we would tell you that it's offered to you to follow Jesus to be forgiven and to have your sins washed away and for you to be saved from your own foolishness and your own wickedness. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would work. We might see our sin that we would not elevate ourselves in pride, but that we would see your holiness and your power and your goodness on display. For everyone in the room that's wrestling, fighting against your, your good protection, may they see it and praise you. Thank you, Lord. Y'all keep praying. And as you're ready in a moment,